This message was recorded at Vision Baptist Church in Alfred, Georgia. It is our prayer that you will be blessed by the preaching of God's Word. Please uh, turn to Genesis chapter number 12. Genesis chapter number 12, we will look at uh, verses 1 through 3 uh, tonight. Um, I look forward to listening to last Thursday's message at the end of Genesis 11. I saw through the notes as Brother Robert preached and showed the life of Abraham. It looked great. I heard wonderful things about it. Uh, excited seeing where God had brought Abraham from. Comes from a family of idol worshipers. As an advocate for India, I thought that was interesting. But as I think about it, those that don't worship the true God, there's no other option but to be an idol worshiper. And so that it would only uh, make sense. Uh, that's what he would be um, involved in. But in Romans chapter, or Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, we'll see a promise made to Abraham. And we'll see how that it relates to us today. And it's uh, real important to us today and what God has um, for us. For those of you that didn't get to see the video before we started, this man named Rakid, um, he um, began to wonder about Christianity. He didn't have any Christians around him. So he got online and he printed off the book of John and he read it. And he wanted to know more. And if I remember, and then he... Um, if I remember correctly, I had to travel about 12 hours to get to go to a service and to see Aaron and get more um, answers uh, to the questions that he had. And then he said later on how he read through the Bible completely. And uh, that's uh, pretty neat um, in such a short amount of time. This new believer read through the Bible. But could you imagine a guy that was, didn't have any Christians around him? He didn't come from a Christian family. didn't know another Christian. To see another Christian, he had to travel, travel 12 hours. What it must have been like for him when he got to Genesis 12 and read about Abraham who put his faith in God, and God says, depart, and he begins walking. How exciting and comforting that must be for him, the Scripture. And that's what Scripture should be for us. In Romans 15 and verse 4, it says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that through patience and comfort of Scriptures um, might have hope. So stories like Abraham, uh, which um, is a long time ago, and we know him to be the father of the, the nation of Israel, um, it relates to you and I today, uh, if nothing else, in the area of patience and comfort that we find in the area of, of Scripture. Um, because we are not Jewish people um, in here, all of us being uh, uh, Gentiles. Um, some years ago, I was in New York City. Uh, there was a missionary there. He had planted a church in Tel Aviv. I feel like I've told this story before, but when you're 30, you only have so many illustrations, all right? If, y'all, if we stick together long enough, I'll have more, okay? Uh, but I was in New York, and uh, this, we were giving out these Bibles in Hebrew, and as we were doing it, this lady came up and she said in English, uh, she said, Hey, why are you out here proselytizing? You don't find us giving, up, giving you your literature. Well, she didn't know that I had a Hebrew-speaking pastor standing right beside me. And he just took off. And he took her through the Bible and said, That's exactly our point. That God had given you this, and it was your responsibility to take this to the nations. And now as a church, we've been engrafted in, and that we have the opportunity to share this with other people. And um, I don't know all that he said. I wish I could bring him up here and have him say it to you in English. But whatever he said, it, she still walked off. But it seemed pretty impressive uh, to me. Anything in Hebrew seemed impressive uh, to me. But they didn't, she didn't understand why they were proselytizing because she had completely forgotten. And it just seemed foreign to her that this guy was saying that she ever had a responsibility of any kind to be a blessing to him or to do anything. And um, so we look at uh, Romans chapter number 12. We see that Abraham... Uh, uh, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter number uh, 12 this morning, this afternoon. Wow, 
Let's say, back from the top. All right? um, Abraham stands as the greatest figure to be found in the ancient world. Many would say three world religions, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity, revere him as the, the father of their faith. So what you would find that the world would uh, know him as. National Geographic in 1966 says, Abraham is the patriarch conceived a great and simple idea, the idea of a single almighty God. Even though he realized there's an almighty God, he didn't conceive it or think it up for the first time because he is the holy uncreated one as the ladies just sung about. But Abraham's importance is not just found in the fact that he is today a prime a model of saving faith. And we've been seeing that um, in Romans. And I think it's been very neat that we've seen Genesis and Romans together. It makes it complicated for me to get them, separate the two of them when I'm talking right now. But it's been neat because Romans speaks so much about Abraham. But the importance of Abraham in Genesis is that through Abraham, God reveals his purpose and his goal for the universe and promises to Abraham, God reveals that he had a plan. And this is exciting because man falls in the garden and they hide from him and God comes to him and says, I got a plan. And he provides that for him. And then the whole world is full of iniquity and he's going to flood the earth. But he has a plan and he saves some. And then they become wicked again and they try to make a great name for themselves and he scatters them everywhere and they take all that idol worship and all that me worship that was going on there in Babel and they just export it to all parts of the earth. They didn't just take themselves and their and their families, but they took all that corrupt uh, teaching and doctrine to the ends of the earth. But then immediately after that God once again says, I have a plan. And that's exciting to know that every time we mess things up that God has a plan. So let's read Genesis chapter number twelve verses one through three. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, and to the land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, I will bless thee, and I will make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curses thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will help us um, have wisdom according to the scripture tonight, Lord. I pray that you'll help make application to the heart. Lord, we see that you had a plan and Abraham acted upon it. Lord, I pray the night as believers today in the church age, we'll see that you have a plan and we'll act in humble obedience to it as well. Lord, we thank you for the example found here. I pray that we will leave here comforted and encouraged, knowing that you're doing a wonderful work still in this day, and that you have a plan for those nations, Lord, that seem so far away from us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So looking at these scriptures, let's look at the promise that was given. If you hear what is the Abrahamic covenant or the promise given, most of you would know that to be Genesis uh, one, um, verses 1 through 3. So let's just take a moment and we'll look at the promise that was made. So first of all, he says, Get the other country in thy father's house, and I will show thee, and I will make a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great. We're told in Genesis 15, 5, And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed uh, be. And so it would be true of that time, especially now that a man's greatness would be found in how great his family is and how great a property that he would own and all that he could uh, take for himself. And God said, I'm going to make a great name for you. I said this when we were in the Tower of Babel, but isn't it amazing the contrast? There's a group of people that said, I'm going to make a name great for myself. And God said, that's not how it works. And then he picks one person because of his grace that he says, I'm going to make a name great for you. But it's different this time because he says, I'm going to make a name great for you. And with that, I'm going to have you to be a blessing to all the nations. 
And so our view of greatness is much different than God's view of greatness because he says, if we're going to be great, then I'm going to use you as a channel to help many people. And so they thought great meant power, but God teaches us that the greatest is to be a blessing. So we see that he's going to give them a great name. It's a promise there. And we know this in many ways that Abraham has a great name that it, and it lasts. We don't know any of the names we know of Nimrod, uh, but we don't know much about the people that built the tower that tried to build a great name for themselves. And most people aren't going to know much about that story. But we know of Abraham today, and definitely the people of Islam, Judaism, and Christianity uh, would know much about that story. Um, he is blessed in Genesis 15, 6, and he says, He believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. So he said, I'm going to give you a great name, and you're going to be blessed. David's definition in Romans 4, 6, that even as David also describeth the blessedness of man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. So Abraham uh, truly becomes blessed because he gets his sin put onto, uh, taken away from him and righteousness is placed there. And it's the great reversal where Adam said you know, that he didn't want to trust in God and his word and he says, I want to kind of, I want to do things my own way. And I, want, I know you said I shouldn't do this and avoid it. Now Abraham says in complete faith I'll depend on you and I'm going to trust you at your word. I'm going to trust you and go somewhere that I don't even know where I'm headed. And I'm going to trust you that you're going to provide children even though I'm late in age. And I'm going to trust you in all these things even though I don't see you. And it's the complete opposite of what we see in the sin of rebellion there in Adam. We see faith in action. Then he goes on to say that he's going to be a blessing uh, to the nations, I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse thee. And in these shall all the families of the earth be blessed. We're going to look at that more. So in that promise, he says, I'm going to use you to be a channel of, uh, to all of the world. Then he makes a promise to him about land. Um, he says, I'm going to give you unto a land that I will show thee. And then in Genesis 15:18, he says, In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. And so some of you in here that may be the younger brother or the younger sister may wonder, how is it okay that God gave somebody else's land away? And that's typically how a younger brother or a younger sister would think about somebody getting something. But he says, one, we know that God's able to do this because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Psalms 24.1. God can give a piece of land to whoever he chooses because he's the creator of it. Um, the land pledged to Abraham was part of God's provision for the Jewish people. After the exodus from Egypt, the Jews were given the promised land, confirming God's power to predict the future and fulfill his promise. Secondly, giving the land to Abraham's descendants in part was judgment on the sinful Canaanites. In Genesis fifteen sixteen, he says, But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. So he has a timetable when that land will no longer belong to those people. And Deuteronomy 9, 4, says, Speak not thou in thine heart, after that the Lord thy God has cast them out from before thee, saying, For my righteousness the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. For the wickedness of these nations the Lord does drive them out from before thee. So I really want to drive home the fact here that it was God's to give, and he gave it to the children of Israel. And not only did he just give this land to them because he's good and gracious, and he wanted to, but he had a plan in it because his giving of the land was a provision for the promise that he had given. And the plan that he had was to be a blessing to all people. And it's so exciting to see that built into the promise, there's a command of something for him to do. But all the provision needed to make it possible is there as well. And we'll look at this more at the end. But whatever God's calling for you to do, whatever he's leading you into doing in life, know that built into that leading of promise, he'll provide that provision. 
Those of you that read or watch the news, you may have seen that our president recently went to Israel. And I got an article this week and it said that um, President Obama offers hope to Israel. And I thought that was kind of a a weird title, so I thought I would take a moment to read. And um, he's a wonderful politician and a a phenomenal speaker. And um, as he was speaking, people were giving reactions to what he said. And because we know that there, there has been since this time, and there always will be until the Lord's return, there's fighting there um, in the Middle East. And isn't it amazing that it's always on the news, that there's fighting that goes on in other parts um, of the world that you don't hear about? You know, if you want to be like a global Christian, which we should be as Christians, you have to really work at learning news. You have to really work, Brother Pepperdine, at knowing about North Korea, as we talked about, because it isn't put right in front of us on our local news. Uh, But if you want to know about Israel, you just have to pick up a newspaper because it's always right there in front of us because they're fighting. Because the world understands that there's some um, importance in what's going on. Uh, Is there a picture there, Uh, Patrick? If you could put that up, let you see what was promised. So he says, he he told them what the promise would be. Um, And then in chapter number 15, he said, this is the land that I'm going uh, to give you, the promised land uh, there. And um, it's a large area and it's much bigger than what they have Um, at this current time. So I thought I would give you some points from the Bible here. Um, You can take that down, Patrick. Um, uh, I thought I would give you some talking points because, Lang, if you talk to our commander-in-chief soon, uh, would you give him some talking points, possibly, that I would like to rewrite um, his speech next time he has an opportunity to speak on uh, that subject, um, if somebody would like to put it on a teleprompter for him. And I don't feel, I'm not gifted there at politics, but when it comes to the Bible as Christians, we have some things that should be said And concerning land, physical property, there's some things that the Bible teaches about it. So first of all, I would like for them to know that the land of Canaan, which was renamed Israel by the Lord, was given by God to Abraham and his descendants as an everlasting possession. That's Genesis 12, 7. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord. He appeared unto him. So if it had been some type of convention or some redrawing of the lines, and we could argue about it, but when the Lord gives somebody a piece of land, an eternal possession, it gets to be their land. So that would be talking point number one that he could give. Number two, the gift of the land to Abraham and his descendants was based on an unconditional covenant from God um, himself. Uh, Genesis 12, 7, uh, um, verse 8. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger and all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. I will be their God. So it was an unconditional covenant, meaning that the children of Israel have not lost their land because it was promised by God. And until he changes, the not fact will never change. And he doesn't change. Talking point number three. This land was given to the sins of uh, was not given to the descendants of Ishmael, one of the ancestors of the Arab people, but rather, rather to the descendants of Isaac. We find that in Genesis seventeen eighteen. It says, Abraham said unto God, O that Ishmael might live before thee. And God said, this is what Abraham is praying unto God. We know that Ishmael comes from the, the, the maidservant there, and he's praying unto God. He says, oh, that Ishmael will live uh, before you. So, God, would you just take this? I know I messed up, with, but can we start from here? I know I tried to help you out, but let's just take this plan and run with it. And God says, no, I have a plan. It's going to work. Thank you, Abraham, but I don't need your help in this. I got it. And then God said, Sarah, thy wife, shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant, and with his seed after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard thee. Behold, I have blessed him, and will make him fruitful, and multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he begat, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant 
will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set time in the next year. So there's plenty of room for Ishmael and his descendants. It's not that there's not a place for them. And it's not that God doesn't have a place for them that they will be taken care of. But this covenant and this promise that I gave, this goes to Isaac and to his descendants and it belongs uh, to them. Talking point number four, be Israel's sin and subsequent exile from the land did not change their divine rights to the land given unto them by the Lord and the covenant. Leviticus 26, 44, I will not cast them away, nor, neither will I abhor them to destroy them utterly and to break my covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God. So they were coming and going, and I know we say possessions nine-tenths of the law, but the children of Israel may have been pushed out and come and go out of it, but that land always belonged to them. Number, the, uh, the, land, the name of the land is not Palestine, but it is Israel. And then I would have um, our vice president read this one. Uh, 2,500 years ago, the prophet Ezekiel spoke of the restoration of Israel in its land in the last days. Ezekiel spoke of dry bones coming to land. Neither before in history has a nation been destroyed and scattered all over the world and then been brought back to life. It is a miracle and a fulfillment of Bible prophecy. We read in Ezekiel 37, 11, and 12. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of the graves and bring you into the land of Israel. So it was called Israel, it will be called Israel, so today we should refer to it as Israel. And I don't want you to think that I have a bad spirit towards people that would like to have that land, and that is not the purpose of this, and it's not to enchant excitement about political things, but the Bible speaks clearly that he made a promise to them about it, and we should watch that, and we should speak about it. And when people talk about that, that place is called Israel, and it belongs to them. And that is our opinion on it, because it's the Bible's opinion on it. But you know what God also does? This would be another thing that I would, say, that I would like to say to them, that the stranger, the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles, will live peacefully among them and be treated with respect. That all through the book of Leviticus and the Old Testament, God makes provision for the stranger. And that their laws would protect them and they would be invited in to, um, into their lives. And that it wouldn't be a violent place and they would not be pushed out. But they would have room there to live with them peacefully. And then lastly, the land was given to Abraham and his descendants as part of God's resumptive blessing to the world. Israel was located in the center of the ancient world. And all transportation and communication between the continents had to pass through this territory, the place that we saw on the screen, to reach others. In doing so, the travelers, merchants, and traders, and even the armies encountered the children of Israel. They came and they were going through, through this place. Ezekiel 5, 5 says, Thus saith the Lord God, This is Jerusalem. I have set it in the midst of the nations and countries that are round about her. So God chose this piece of property for them because it was a provision for a plan that he had made for them. And I took some time to reiterate a point over and over that this is their land and nothing will change it. Because God, when he gives a provision for a plan, it never changes. He doesn't take it away. He never gives you a plan to do something and doesn't continue to provide that. So you see, when God makes a promise for the act upon, his provisions are always guaranteed. I want you to remember this and keep it handy because you're going to need that here again um, in a moment. So not only do we find the promise of a great name and of a land for them... Uh, for the people, but we go on and we find that this promise is all throughout the Bible. It isn't that we just come to it in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, and it doesn't affect again our Bible study, but it's all throughout the Bible. There's nearly 400 passages which are a paraphrase of this statement. 
the, and God repeats the covenant directly, almost verbatim, three times. He'll tell it to Abraham, and then he'll tell it to Isaac and to Jacob. In Genesis 26, to Isaac, and in Genesis 28, to Jacob. And it's brought again over and over. And then it isn't just something that dies away when we go from the Old Testament to the New Testament, like it doesn't apply to us again today. We find that the New Testament writers had a knowledge of this, and they thought that it was important to remember it. In Acts three twenty-two through 26, these are the words of Peter. It says, For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of the brethren, like unto me. Him shall you hear in all things whatsoever you shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear the prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that will follow after, and as many have spoken, have likewise foretold these days. Ye are the children of the prophets. And of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. And unto, you, and unto you first God has raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you, and turning away every one of you from his iniquity. So as we're looking here at the day of Pentecost, when he's, he's pleading with the people here, he reminds them of a promise made all the way back in Genesis 12, and what God had wanted to do with them. And he, in verse number 12, he reminds them. Then he goes on to give us some more understanding. Well, when we, when we would read through it the first time, not completely understanding, and as I think about it, I go back to think about that man, Rakid, and he reads it for the first time. I've said this before, it would be so wonderful if we were, as we read through the Bible, if we could cause ourselves to do that, to explore it, and not to skip over verses knowing, well, I know what's going to happen next, so we begin to connect the dots. And so many times we get, if you uh, journal when you read the Bible, it's oftentimes amazing um, how if you look at what you got from Scripture this time, is almost exactly what you got a few years ago when you got to it. Something pastor's done for many years is, he would go through a Bible, then he gives it away, and he starts again with a, with a fresh one that doesn't have notes in it. Always trying to do something to push himself to look at it fresh um, and anew. But he would get to this, and then he would get to here, and if he hadn't already caught on by now, but he would see that in the, it's the name of Jesus is the seed that would be the blesser. It says, unto the first God, having raised up his son, Jesus sent him to bless you. So how was Abraham's descendants, how were they going to be a blessing? Is that Jesus was going to come from them, and it's in Jesus that they would be a blessing to all people. And Peter identifies this blessing, and how would there be a blessing? In turning away every one of you from his iniquities and salvation. So this promise is great. This promise here means that God had a plan, and the fact that you're sitting in here today, are any of you Jewish people in here today? I, I didn't think so. So the fact that he made this promise back in Genesis 12, that God would use them to be a blessing, and the fact that you heard about this and that the seed came from Jesus and that you're in here today means that the promise is working. And then Paul helps us better understand it in the book of Galatians. He says, Now the Abraham and his seed were the promises made and said, And to the seeds as many, but as one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. And so he promised a great promise there. God's promise to Abraham discloses the destiny of every nation. And we find in Revelation chapter number 5, verse 9, that they sung a new song and that every nation is represented there. And we study our Bible, we'll find out in tribulation that God will take 144,000 virgin Jewish young men and they'll go to the farthest parts of it again. And we continue seeing these people being a blessing there. So let's look at the promise here and something we can learn about a blessing. So they were given a blessing, but he says, I'm going to bless you, but for what purpose? He says, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing. So we learned something here. And so even though we don't have the promise given to us of land, 
And I wish we could say that there's some land in Alpharetta that God has promised to us. That's not how it works. Uh, we're on a journey like Abraham. We've just, if that's what he has for us, but there's no promised land, but we have a promised Savior, which is so much more, and it's the greatest part of the promise there. But there's a, 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 there's a lesson here about blessings, why he gives a blessing and what's supposed to be done with it. I will bless you. We refer to this top line of the blessing. It's a God's desire to bless the Israelites. And he says, in thee will all the families of the earth be blessed. So I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing. Warren Wiersbe gives a wonderful quote about ministry. It says, ministry is accomplished when human needs are met by divine resources through loving channels to the glory of God. Isn't there something wonderful when you're able to give of something to somebody that you knew was greater than yourself and the impact that you, had, you saw in their life was greater than anything you could have done, but you knew that God did something through you, the minister to somebody? That's what God was going to do for those people. He says, I'm going to bless you for this purpose and I find the wonderful joy in it. Um, and as we are now in a parenthesis in history that God is not done with the children of Israel, but God is allowing us, the church, to be used of him in sharing the message of the blessing to the entire world. And so I ask you, how are you stewarding the blessing that God's given you? So we're in the church age. He wants to reach the nations. That's always been his plan. And so now he's called upon us to go into the world and teach it. And so the way he's going to do this is he's going to bless you for a purpose of being a blessing. So have you ever wondered when you receive a blessing, where does this go? You know, maybe sometimes you go and you take a, a blessing and God gives it to you and you walk over to the shelf and you always put it in the same category, which is called me. God gives me a blessing and you go over there and you just stack it up on a shelf that's called me. And that shelf gets larger and larger and it gets filled with things. But have you ever considered that oftentimes he hands you a blessing and it was never meant to be put on that shelf, but it was supposed to go to some other place? And as a church, we get wonderful joy in that, isn't it? I mean, how did you feel in your heart when that video showed and he said, there's a church in America that I took your letter and I sent it to them and it's on their back wall. And that as a church, we got to look back and we got to see the picture that was on the back wall until I took it down and I wasn't able to get it back up. Uh, but we'll get it back up there. But how exciting is that, that we knew that God allowed us to do that? Because we haven't been there to that city. We never talked to that man. We don't speak Arabic. But we got to be part of that. So because God handed you something and you handed it and passed it along and you got to be a blessing. Because God gave you a desire to pray and to commune with him. And in that you didn't just pray uh, for yourself, but you prayed for Aaron and what was going on there. And that when you saw Aaron and he came by, you encouraged him. And that helped strengthen him as he went back. I referenced this many times before, but it's at a passage like this that's so clear where they talk about the difference between cats and dogs and the fact that one person knows that they're blessed to be a blessing and that the dog knows, Miss Sherry P would know this, he'd say, you take care of a dog, and the dog thinks you're God because you're so good to it, but you take care of the cat, and the cat thinks it's God because you take such good care of it, and we see that there, and the difference between Abraham and Isaac. Do we have any children named Isaac in our church? All right? Sometimes pastor gives people a hard time because Isaac had to have somebody go find them a wife, so he's never thought that was the greatest name for somebody. But you see, if you study there with Abraham and Isaac, that Abraham knew that God was a blessing to him for a purpose. And then when he goes and God does something great through him and the kings say, oh, you did such a wonderful thing, we want to give you all these things, he said, I don't want to take anything from you. I don't even want to take a shoe latch yet because that wasn't me that did anything, and I don't want you to think that you made me rich, but that was the God of heaven. And so many times we get so proud and think, man, I've really done something with my life. And we forget it's just the grace of God in our lives that he has blessed us for a purpose here.
So then we get on to to this. So we see that there's a promise given in Abraham. It's on land, and they had their land. And as I talk about that land, I want you to know that that was part of the provision for what he wanted to do. And then he gave them a purpose in all of that. And so what is the response here? What is Abraham's response to this promise? Verse number four, so Abraham departed. I love it so much that there is no, so Abraham sat down and thought about it. So Abraham talked it over a little bit with his family. So Abraham, anything. I understand that there's probably different things that went on in the scripture there. But it's so comforting right now to say that he's heard the promise from God. It didn't really make sense to him. Go where? That's kind of what I need to know. If you're our pastor, he really needs to go because he puts in his GPS how to get from the church to home, even though he does it all the time, because he wants to know how many miles it's going to be and all that. And that's how we are, don't you? You want to know where we're going. You want to know, are we there yet? But he says, just go. And he doesn't know exactly. And then we're going to find where he tells them to go, which is even crazier. This land that I'm going to give you, yeah, I haven't told the people there yet that it's your land. And I want you to go there and just check it out. That's a little bit awkward, isn't it? I mean, could you imagine if you planned to buy somebody's home and you just kind of walked into it one day and you're just checking it out, you know? You didn't tell them you were coming, coming by for, uh, to see it and just go in. And that's what's going to happen here. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken unto him and Lot went with him. And Abram was 70 and five years old when he departed of Haran. And Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered and the souls that had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan. And to the land of Canaan they came. And Abram passed and through the land unto the place of Shechem and to the plain, uh, plain of Morim. And to Canaan I was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed I will give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west, the high on the east. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. There's so many things that could be said here about his separation, having to leave his family and how necessary that was. Also with Lot and the problem that it came from not a complete separation of what he's told him to do. And we, don't, we won't take the time to look at that, but just the complete following after God and abandoning what's behind them. But first of all, I just want you to see that he went, that he acted upon the promise that he departed. He went into the land that he would someday possess that God was going to give him. He acted in a faith and he immediately went there. And his obedience was evidence of his faith and it was not the payment of work for his faith. So we see him. First of all, he obeys. And because he obeys, he acts upon it. We don't find that because he obeyed that now he is given the faith. But because he had faith, it comes out in his actions. We find that in the book of James. But because of what we believe in God, it ought to create what ought to be seen by this world by radical obedience. It doesn't make any sense for this man logically to do these things. But it makes complete sense when he has faith in God and God told him to go about doing that. Then only did he go, he went, but he worshipped. Verses 7 through 9, we find there, it says, There he went to build an altar. You know, you can't really quietly build an altar. You can't really make an altar and hide it. It's kind of a public thing. And there's no Bible belt in this area at this time or ever. And he didn't pass several Baptist churches on his way there. But he's in a place that is full of idol worship, people that aren't worshiping the one true God. And what does he do? He sets up an altar where everybody's watching, watching him. And what is he telling them? That I'm worshiping The one true God. He's not the God that you're worshiping, but he's the one true God. 
There's no way to build an altar and not be confrontational. There's no way that you can build this and act like uh, what you're believing is not the truth. And there's no way to build an altar and people not watch your lifestyle in it. So we see the promise given Abraham. We see that he made provision for it. And then we just simply see that he acted in obedience to it. So church, I'd like to ask you, how are we doing today in acting upon what God has given us to do? What has he told you to do? I'd like to give you a moment to think about that. What has he told you to do? And then some of you may think about it specifically. You know, uh, as a church, we try to take the next step in what he would have us to do. But individually, he would have you to take the next step in what he would have you to do in obedience. I mean, Philip Ferguson moved down from Ohio recently, and um, they, he felt that's what God was leading him to do. So there's those specifics. But even a, in a broader sense, in a more general sense, something that's true about God's will for us as the church, what has he given us to do? And I'll give you a moment as you think about this, and let me, let me know if this sounds familiar, and God still has a plan. And Jesus came and he spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So we get to read through the Old Testament. We get to see God make promises and prophecy and we get to see him fulfill it. We get to see that God has a plan and we get to see people act in obedience to it and God do a wonderful work. Then we get to the New Testament and we find him as he ascends up to heaven and he turns and looks at us. And he doesn't just look at us and give us a plan of what we should do with our lives, but he makes a promise. And he says, all power is given to me. Seeing that I'm the commander in chief of all things, I have all power. If I wanted to give somebody a piece of land all the way back in Genesis and promise that it will be theirs, I get to do that because I own the land. And if I want to give you anything for the mission, I can do that. And so he makes a promise to us in this. And then not only does he makes this promise to us, but then he gives us a clear plan what ought to be done. So he still has a plan today. He had a plan back in Genesis, Tower of Babel, they're everywhere. But now we look all these thousands of years later, and in the uttermost parts of the world, there's still people that are still following the same idol worship that was taken there back in the day of Genesis And they're still waiting for somebody that's being blessed to go and be a blessing to them. Could I ask you this? You know, in a church that has so many um, missionaries to it, this would be a very easy place to think that you would never be called of God to be a missionary. It would be a very comfortable place because you could begin to run the numbers and say, well, many churches don't have one foreign missionary out of it. So since our church has so many, then mathematically I must be safe that God isn't going to call me to be a missionary And that would be a very sad thing to happen. So there's many applications here for this. But one of them has to be just real simply that Abraham departed. He just took what he had. He took his altar. He went to build an altar. He just went to a far land and he did that. And he preached about the one true God. And he was a witness. He was a missionary among the people. And could I ask you if that not be what God would have for you? Because it doesn't matter how many missionaries we have on this wall. As long as there's nations and people groups out there that are yet to have it. There's still the people that God's calling from one place to another. Because there's pockets of places where that there's not a Christian among them. Which means that the Christians among them can't get fired up and see revival. And the people be reached. That unless somebody from outside goes in there, they're not going to hear it. And we are people that are being blessed for a purpose. So maybe you're here 
from the community. You say, I didn't come here for the training center. I didn't come here to be a missionary. Because you ask yourself, and I pray that you do, would that be God's plan for your life? And it's something that we would ask of him. Then also in here, if you would say, that's not what God has for you. Can I tell you that our lives don't look any easier? It, does, it shouldn't look any easier than what Aaron's doing there in Morocco. It shouldn't look any easier than Abraham. But it's a life of complete faith. And if you're not living a life of complete faith, then maybe possibly you should take more things off the shelf and all the different blessings that you've been storing up and get rid of that closet so much that you have to live by faith. Maybe you have so much stored up that you don't need him. And maybe you just need to depart. Maybe there's something that God's been putting in your heart about ministry and our community. And you're just saying, I know that God wants us to reach our community. And I know that if I have a desire to do it, then apparently it doesn't come from Satan. Because I tell you, he doesn't care about reaching this community. And can I tell you, as good as you are, you don't care about reaching this community. But the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you does. So maybe could you see the plan that God gave of us going and the promise that he made of provision, all power, not just a piece of land, but all power. And could you just depart? Could you just leave here the night and say, I'm going to move forward with what God has me to do? And so maybe it looks different. Abraham had to pack up and it was hard. And maybe you just have to go home and Google. Maybe that's your first step. Maybe it's to call somebody on the phone and say, I've really been thinking about this for a long time, but I feel like that God's been blessing me in this area and I want to be a blessing to some other people because God is still working a plan through his people and he's still providing what's necessary to see his plan take place and his promises never waver. And that's exciting, isn't it? That no matter what people say about it, his provisions will never change. So we have seen in Romans, if you're a believer, you have the faith of Abraham. So the, if you don't have the faith of Abraham, then you're not a believer. Pastor has said it so well. It's not the size of your faith. It's the substance of your faith. You know, you may, you know, it is a measurable amount. It's that you have the faith in the same Jesus that Abraham has, which means that you have the faith to depart and to act upon it. So whatever it is, I can't make the individual act, application, but I can tell you that falls underneath this window, that we're supposed to go to all the nations with the gospel. This city is part of all the nations, but there's other places in this world that are definitely part of all the nations, and that he has called you to do that. He called it on Abraham, and he's called you the day into it. And what are you doing? How are you being a steward of the blessing that is given? Heavenly Father, I pray that now that you will work in the hearts. Holy Spirit, as you live in the hearts of the believers, Lord, Lord, I know that I could have done a much better job at communicating this, but Lord, your truth is so powerful. And I really pray that right now in this moment that people will make the realization that you do have a plan in this world today and that you give the provisions when you give the plan and that you have given our church all the power necessary to see people saved and baptized of all the nations. And I pray that people will consider that. I pray that if there's somebody in here and they've considered the thought of being a missionary, Lord, that tonight they'll just surrender and they'll say, I'll depart. I don't have everything figured out. I don't know where what I'll do with my job. I don't know where I'm going. But I just know that you're putting a longing in my heart to go and take the gospel to people that do not have it. If that's somebody in here today, Lord, I pray that you'll just continue the work in the heart and that they will be obedient to you and their obedience will bring glory. Lord, there may be some people in here and they would say you're putting dreams and desires in their hearts to do something in this community and they felt like they've lacked what's needed to do it. I pray that you'll encourage them tonight in knowing that all that's needed and the provision to do it and that they do have the faith to, to move forward with it and that they will depart from here tonight in strong um, belief that you're willing and able to do something. With every head bowed and every eye closed as Kristen plays on the piano, 
If that's your case, would you find a place at the altar? And maybe if you're in here and you just say, no, I don't have any dreams or desires about this place or any other one. Could I tell you that you have all the benefits of justification and life is too short for you just to be a bystander. Get a big dream in your heart. Pick a country in this world. Pick a cause in our community. But don't sit there idly. Get in the game and do something with your life. This message was recorded at Vision Baptist Church in Alfred, Georgia. For more information, log on to www.visionbaptist.com where you can find our service times, location, contact information, and more audio and video recordings.